Greetings, film pals. I bid you welcome to the Cinematic Crypt, a motion picture podcast hosted by Movie John's Old Sport and Classic Corner, Rosalie Kicks, otherwise known as Betzina Belfry. Each episode, I travel six feet under and pry open a coffin of one of my favorite Hollywood corpses and perform a post-watch examination of one of their forgotten films. Lend me your ears and listen along as I summon the spirits of Hollywood's dearly departed and uncover your next favorite film from the grave. Before we descend into the crypt, I will begin with reading my obituary a notice of what I have been up to since we last spent time together. I do hope everyone had a frightfully fantastic Halloween season. Since the spooky radio special aired, I received several correspondence from Crypt Creepies inquiring about Dracula Elvis's story, requesting to acquire further information on the vamp that hails from Gravesland, Tennessee. There were also numerous demands for another radio special featuring some of your favorite Little Gravedigger's festive holiday tunes. Well, creepies, I'm delighted to share that Elvis will make an appearance on the cinematic Cryptmas radio special hitting the airwaves December 13th. It is no secret that Draculelvis adores the holiday season. They look forward to getting all the goblins, ghouls, and creepies in the spirit. Hope you tune in. When I'm feeling blue and when I'm feeling low Then I start to think about the happiest man I know He doesn't mind the snow and he doesn't mind the rain But all December you will hear him at your window pane A-singing again and again and again and again and again and again Christmas is a-coming and the bells begin to ring The holly's in the window and the birds begin to sing Now don't take time to worry and don't take time to fret And the more you give at Christmas time the more Again to that ghastly production, Sir Brave Preserve. I am your friendly neighborhood vampire, Sir Brave Gaspy. Each Saturday this time on your TV, too, I bring you tales of the supernatural, ghost stories, monster tales, stories to chill your blood, tales to run fingers of fear up and down your spine. So, my dears, turn out your lights, pull down the shades. Draw the drapes, cuddle up in your favorite spot by the telly, and glue your little eyes to your TV screen for today's 
tale of terror. Creepies, you just heard the voice of horror host Sir Graves Gasly, hailing from Detroit, Michigan. Before we get to our main attraction, let's take a walk in the cemetery, shall we? Join me, creepies, on this trip to the graveyard so that we can pay respects to horror hosts from days gone by in a segment I've entitled Grave Time. The wind howls, the cats squeal, cemetery gates creak, dense fog fills the air. Suddenly, a white-faced man sits up in his coffin. He sports a goatee and mustache. Both are back and greasy, as is his hair, which has been combed down over a balding forehead. There, his hair forms into a large curl. The hair on either side of his temples is also combed forward into curls. Heavy black eyebrows arch over each eye. They too curl upward at the bridge of his nose. He is dressed in traditional vampire host attire. A tux, a cape, accented by purple gloves. He is Detroit's own Sir Graves Ghastly. That excerpt I just read was from the book Television Horror Movie Hosts, written by Elena M. Watson. I thought it was a fantastic introduction of the featured horror host fiend on this episode's Grave Time, and decided to share it with you, my crypt dwellers. The afternoon program Sir Graves Ghastly's Presents started airing on WJBK Channel 2 in 1966. The show primarily aired Saturday afternoons, 2.30 to 5 p.m., for over 16 years. In the late 60s and early 70s, it was briefly picked up in Washington, D.C., and the show's primary audience was adults as it ran in the evenings. Born in 1928, Sir Gasly was portrayed by Lawson J. Deming from Medina, Ohio, and worked in radio and television most of his life. He held various positions, everything from actor to producer to radio effects, and had a specialty in accents. <laughs> My old friend, I can't even think of her name. I'll have to look through my collection of human heads. But it's funny now and then how my thoughts go flashing back again to my old flame. My old flame. My my new lovers all seem so tame. They they won't even let me strangle them. Sir Graves Gasly was considered to be more of a cartoonish vamp than frightening and was extremely popular with school-aged children. Many recall him for his exaggerated laugh, his attire, and demeanor. They were all meant to serve as a parody to the cliched portrayal of vampires in horror flicks of the time. He credited his wife, Mary Rita, as assisting him with brainstorming the persona. 
When asked of his origin, he claimed to be a contemporary of William Shakespeare, which he felt explained his British accent. Unfortunately, he had gotten into an argument with Queen Elizabeth and was hung in the Tower of London. He would cheerily remark, the hanging was like a poor vaccination. It didn't take. On the show itself, he primarily presented Universal Monster Fair and Japanese monster and sci-fi flicks, which were unearthed from graves by his cemetery caretaker, Real McCoy. The film presentations would be interspersed with sketch comedy pieces featuring some of his spooky friends. As I mentioned earlier, Sir Ghastly was an afternoon ghoul. He would occasionally partake in an evening special, every so often, such as Night of the Apes, in which he screened King Kong and Mighty Joe Young. There was even an iron-on patch available to commemorate the event. Deep in the African jungle, behind the giant wall, there lives a huge gorilla, the most monstrous monster of all. His name is Kong, and they call him King. You can tell why in the glance. And everything starts jumping when he goes into his dance. Oh, it's the King Kong stop. There's no escape. Yes, it's the King Kong stop. He just goes in, and the jungle shakes with a mighty sound. When King Kong starts to monkey around. Played numerous characters on his show, including the popular Tilly Trollhouse, his girlfriend. She basically looked exactly like him, but donned a stringy blonde wig and did not have a beard. If you have access to the World Wide Web, I highly recommend looking up a video of Tilly performing My Funny Valentine. It is an experience. Another frequent character he played was Walter his alter ego, who was absolutely menacing and would attempt to take over the show. He enjoyed lip syncing, and his favorite song was Three Little Fishes. Coincidentally, this was a song performed by one of today's corps of interest, Kay Kaiser and his orchestra. You'll be hearing more about him in a little bit. Mwah. Hi. <laughs> I'm Walters, the greatest alter ego, and I understand my old alma mater is playing again this week, and if you don't mind, I'd like to encourage them with some vocal backing. <laughs> Piano, please. also Glob, which I must say must have been unforgettable to the eyes that witnessed them. Filmed upside down, it would show only Sir Graves' Ghastly's mouth 
and he took on a persona of a 1950s motorcycle dude who was involved in a crash on the way home from a party, and sadly, all that was left of him was his head. Others would guest on the program, some even only heard, not seen, such as Baruba, who would often do Sir Graves Gasly's bidding. Like other horror host programs, Gasly dedicated time to fan mail he received. He had a bulletin board where he would display artwork by his fans. Sir Graves enjoyed making personal appearances, and a noted event was at the main theater in Royal Oak, Michigan, after the screening of Dracula, in which he performed a magic show. Limbs were sawed off, and the audience was invaded by friends of his that donned rubber monster masks. Oh, creepies. Could you imagine going to such a spectacular event? Sir Graves enjoyed these live shows, much more so than the tapings, due to the delays that were often caused by technical effects. In 1980, he told the Detroit Free Press, The coffin is very comfortable. I've been known to take a nap when they have technical problems. Why not? The show's cancellation came in 1983. Sir Graves Gasly, much like his specter friend, Baruba, would later be heard and not seen, as he would become a radio announcer in Cleveland on WJKW. In conducting my research, I found a merchandise button that perfectly summed up my feelings on this horror host fiend. It stated, I dig graves. <laughs> Anemic, are you still awake? Yes, mommy. How many times have I told you not to call me mommy? I'm your mummy. Okay, mommy. Will you tell me a bedtime story? Oh, all right. Once upon a time, there were three bats. A papa bat, a mama bat, and a baby bat. They lived in a beautiful cemetery, and one day they went out shopping at the blood bank. While they were gone, a little girl named Goldie Lockjaw got lost and was very, very tired. She came upon their tomb and went inside and fell fast asleep. When the three bats came home, the papa bat said, Someone's been sleeping in my nest. And the mama bat said, Someone's been sleeping in my nest. And the baby bat said, Someone's been sleeping in my nest and must have so the three bats ate up the little girl and lived happily ever after. Now open your eyes and go to sleep. And tomorrow you can see your favorite television show, Bat Monsterson. Good night, Mommy. Good night, whatever you are. And now our feature presentation. Time to grab your cape and get uncomfortable. It is time for our regularly scheduled spooky program. Follow me, but watch your step as you descend down to the cinematic crypt. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Today's episode will mark the fourth and final entry in the series, Crafting, Cunning, Conniving Charlatans. Through the course of this series, I have examined a total of four films featuring a charlatan who is up to some fraudulent, phony, and deceiving tricks. This evening, I will uncover and examine the 1940 David Butler comedy horror musical flick, You'll Find Out, starring Kay Kaiser, Peter Lorre, Boris Karloff, and Bela Lugosi. Yes, I said horror musical. Well, my goblins, ghouls, spookies, and creepies, this evening's episode is going to be a bit unique from previous examinations. Let's just say I got a bit overzealous in the graveyard, and instead of digging up a single corpse, I have managed to exhume a gaggle of cadavers. Frankly, my dear crypt dwellers, I could not help myself in terms of specimens. This motion picture offered such lovely remains to choose from. Boris Karloff, Peter Lorre, and Bela Lugosi. I could not possibly just select one dead guy, with the options being so superb. Therefore, you are in for an extraordinary episode, goblins and ghouls. Tonight's program will feature the mysterious and mystifying particulars of the 1940 flick You'll Find Out. I will kick things off by providing illuminating facts about how this picture came to be and starred the most fascinating trio that ever walked among the horror genre. I will take a brief intermission to the morgue before closing the coffin. Well, let's fire up the projector, shall we? Will you please turn off that radio? Why, lady, that's Kay Kaiser. Students! Tony Mason, Jenny Sims, Harry Babbitt, Ishka Bibble, and all the gang. Something terrible going on in this house. Somebody's trying to murder Janice Bellacrest. Murder? Admit it, you fooled me for a spell. But just like the farmer told the well, I dug your... The director of the 1940 comedy horror musical, You'll Find Out, David Butler, was said to say, This film was one of the happiest films I ever did. Everybody simply had fun making it. The motion picture tells the tale of a band leader, Kay Kaiser, and his orchestra. The band manager books them for a young heiress's birthday bash. Kay, I want you to meet Janice Bellacrest. Hello, Mr. Kaiser. The name is Kay. Oh. How do you do? I don't usually undress in front of strange ladies. I'm sure you don't. Come too, Kay. Janice is the girl you're going to play for tomorrow night. Oh, of course. That's the birthday party. Yes. Then you're the girl that Chuck, uh... That's right, the girl that Chuck met when you were playing Boston. Say, you told me she was just a schoolgirl. Well, she was when I met her in finishing school. Oh, but now I'm finished. <laughs> <laughs> I know you have a lot of things to do, so I'll run along. Well, did you tell Mac we'd be using the bus tomorrow? It's all taken care of, Kay. Right. I'm looking forward to tomorrow evening. Thanks. So long, boss. So long. 
What he neglects to inform them is that the event will be hosted at an isolated, spooky mansion. And from the moment they arrive, Kay and the gang are introduced to various intriguing characters and experience bizarre events. Well, this is something. We never played a party in a museum before. Well, the old boy certainly collected a lot of souvenirs. Yeah, I bet he had a towel from every hotel in the world. Here's a cozy little nook. Yeah. That's probably where Elmer practiced exploring. <laughs> I'd better give the boys St. Bernard dogs in case they lose each other. Hey, get a load of this, Kay. Looks like a dart game. Yeah. Blowgun, Malay Peninsula. The puncture made by the dart is almost invisible, and the poison cannot be traced in the body. The victim appears to have died from natural causes. Cute, huh? Listen, Chuck, don't ever book us on the Malay Peninsula. It is quickly realized that someone, or quite possibly something, may be attempting to kill the young heiress. When I had first learned of this film, I was fascinated, given the cast. Karloff, Lugosi, and Lori only appeared together this once, whereas Boris and Bella would share the screen together eight times over the course of their lives. Upon digging up my research, I stumbled upon the website CometOverHollywood.com, founded by writer and classic film lover Jessica Pickens. She offered a plethora of findings about this film, such as while making the movie, the hope was that it would be comparable to Old Dark House from 1932, but with a comedic tone. At the time this picture was made, this was Peter Lorre's second horror movie, his first being Mad Love in 1935, which was set in Paris, and Peter played Dr. Gogol, a surgeon that becomes obsessed with a British actress. This obsession leads him to secretly replace her husband's mangled hands with those of a murderer after a horrible train accident. It is a wild picture, and definitely one that will make an appearance on the crypt sometime in the future. I want you to know my aunt, Miss Margot Bellacrest. Uh, this is Chuck Deems, the young man I told you about, Annie. How do you do? I'm very happy to know you, Miss. And this is Mr. K. Kaiser. Hey, Kaiser. Yes. Yes, I know. Good evening, ma'am. Of course, Aunt Margaret, you've heard Kay's music on the radio. I've heard Mr. Kaiser's music, but not on the radio. It comes to me from another source. Won't you come into the study, Mr. Kaiser? You must rest a moment after your long trip. I utilized the book Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff the expanding story of a haunting collaboration written by Gregory William Menck, in which I learned that one of the main reasons the trio decided to take on this film was due to the popularity of Kaiser's radio show and the opportunity to have their names plugged on the airwaves. As Menck so fittingly put, he said, the publicity would be a bonanza. You know, you and I are kindred souls. We are? Why? Because you ask questions on the radio. I ask questions too, but you ask them of the living while I... I ask them of the dead. Of the... of the dead? I have pierced the veil. 
I speak to those who have gone to the other side. Oh, yes. The other side. Come with me a moment. As for payment, Kaiser and the band would receive profit sharing and a $75,000 advance. Boris made $19,444.40 for the four-week production, whereas Bella would receive a mere $6,041.67, and Lori a crisp $14,000. Bela always seemed to be getting the short end of the stick. Mr. Kaiser knows what I mean, don't you, Mr. Kaiser? you were taking a nap. Well, I was, my dear, thank you. I'm so sorry if I startled your friend, but I didn't want to interrupt your Aunt Margaret. Oh, I'm quite sure you're welcome. I'd like you to meet one of my dearest friends, Judge Mainwaring, Mr. Kaiser. Good what evening. You? Good evening, Spencer. Well, I must say you're looking very well, Margot. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, Jenny, I'll be right with you. Come on with us, Kay, and I'll show you to your rooms. Coming out, Margot? Yes, dear. Uh, Please don't think me rude, but do you mind if I ask a personal question? Not at all. The old lady, Miss Bellacrest, is she wacky? Wacky? I mean, is she inclined to be... As her attorney for several years, Mr. Kaiser, I can assure you that Margot Bellacrest is just the same as I am. While filming, one of the actors, Louise Curry, that played Marion, a friend of the young heiress and birthday girl, Janice Bellacrest, recounted some of her time on the You'll Find Out set, saying that she found the silver fox Boris kept to himself and described him as a recluse, while Laurie, she remembered being a strange little fellow, much like the characters he portrayed in many of his films. Professor Finninger, I'm really happy to see you. Thank you. And uh, please forgive me for eavesdropping, but just part of my profession. But I don't understand. How did you get here with the bridge down? Oh, I arrived, of course, before the bridge collapsed, but uh, I took the liberty of making a brief investigation without announcing my presence. Very clever of you, Professor. Yes, very clever. Incidentally, Mademoiselle, I owe you an apology. An apology? That face you saw at your window. It was mine. While Bela, she found different. Often having long chats with her and other cast members, she recalls him being highly educated, polished, and interesting. You have a real voice, my dear. It's criminal to waste it on such trash. That may be trash to you, Prince Saliano, but modern music is our business. Oh, you know what I mean, Prince. We have our business and you have your business. Please, do not refer to my calling as a business. Oh, no offense. I just meant that everybody has to stick to his own racket. Racket? Do you dare to suggest that the practice of the occult sciences is a racket? Do not merely suggest it, Mr. Kaiser. Insist upon it. If you're trying to provoke me, Professor Fenninger, you're wasting time. Your guest is unbearably rude, Janice. Professor Fenninger, I demand that you apologize to Prince Saliano for daring to question his integrity. Forgive me, madame. I simply meant I should enjoy witnessing one of these so-called uh, psychic manifestations. So-called? 
Prince Aliano, I insist that you conduct a seance at once. But, Miss Bellacrest... I insist. I will not have these people think we're fools. Very well. For you, I will do it. But I warn you, for those who scoff at their existence, the spirits consider no punishment too drastic. It should be mentioned, though, that Luis may not recall speaking with Boris and Peter much, as they were two peas in a pod while filming. Boris and Peter would go on to be lifelong friends, and during this picture, they were often seen hanging out after the film wrapped for the day. Throughout the picture, references to previous flicks that Bela and Boris made were featured, such as The Invisible Ray a picture that Boris and Bela made in 1936. Bela's character, Prince Saliano, and you'll find out, makes a joke to Boris's character about it. There is also the black cat, when Boris announces to the party guests, and you'll find out that the phone is dead. Operator, hello. The telephone is probably dead. The storm, you know. Oh. Now we're really still. I can't control lightning. Kay, will you please have the boys play something? I think it'll help quiet things down. Why, certainly. Thank you. One part of the picture that didn't go as planned was the performance of the song, The Bad Humor Man. Initially, this song was supposed to be performed as The Bad Horror Men, featuring the trio of horror meisters, Karloff, Lugosi, and Lori. I tried finding out why this didn't happen. However, I will say, in seeing how any of the musical numbers turned out in this flick, I believe they dodged a bullet. The song did become, as we know it, The Bad Humor Man, performed by Kay's bandmate, Ish Kabibble, riding around on an ice cream wagon, Kay sporting a beanie hat, and skipping about with a ball crying, school's out. Oh boy, school is out, school is out. London Bridge is falling down. Play by night, see how they ran. London Bridge is falling down. Oh, what a break, too. Oh, McDonald had a fire. Throw me that ball, Rusty. Hey, look, kids, a bad humor man. Oh boy, I want a chocolate one. Can I have a vanilla? I like a little peach. Hey, could you give me a raspberry, mister? With pleasure, kitty. Oh, up every morning at the break of day. What a life, what a life, what a life. Cold cup of coffee on the breakfast tray. What a wife, what a wife, what a wife. Oh, be warm, be so warm. And so as I wander on my weary way, I sing this song. Tingling, tingling, I'm the bad humor man. Tingling, tingling, with a frown on my pen. He's mean as some and I mean with green. Yes, I hate people and they hate me. So he sings tingling, tingling, as he goes on his way. With my wagon rumbling, I keep a grumbling. Wow, what a wowsy day. If you think the audio is an experience, the true adventure is watching it on the silver screen, my crypt dwellers. During the publicity of this flick, the trio starred in one of Kay Kaiser's radio programs. Sadly, the recording is lost, but you can find a copy of the full script in the book I mentioned earlier, Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff, The Expanded Story of a Haunting Collaboration by Gregory William Mank. 
When the studio watched the movie, they found it to be a constant riot of laughter and hysteria. They were hoping to make another picture with the trio, but sadly, it never came to fruition. Boris said this to Peter Lorre, Bella Lugosi, and Kay Kaiser on the NBC radio show in September 1940 to promote the movie. We spend our lives spreading sunshine, don't we, boys? Not a seance? That's ridiculous, of course. On the contrary, the suggestion of our friend Mr. Kaiser suits us beautifully. Are you mad? There's no time to be wasted on Saliano's nonsense. We have to get rid of the girl. But you forget it's much easier to arrange an accidental death downstairs than in Janice's bedroom. Yes, but if I proposed on other seance, it would surely arouse suspicions. You won't propose it. Margot Bellacrest will demand it. Oh. See. And one more thing. You watch Mr. Kaiser very carefully. And if he should attempt to leave the ballroom. And what about the accident? If she should happen to step between the electrical spheres of the darkness, it'd be tragic. Obviously accidental. Frankly, Crypt Dwellers, this is not a great film, but it sure is unusual and a lot of fun. I love the characters that the horror trio plays, even if they are a gaggle of charlatans. Boris as the brooding Judge Spencer Mainwaring that assists Aunt Margot Bellacrest with the estate. Bela as Prince Saliano, who has some ridiculous ensembles and some great lines, is the supposed clairvoyant that has the young heiress's aunt under his spell and wrapped around his finger, while Peter plays Professor Carl Fenninger, a mystery man brought in to debunk Prince Saliano's methods. Little do the party guests know, this trio is working together to pull the wool over their eyes one seance at a time as they have plotted what they believe to be the most grandy of schemes. There was so many publicity shots taken for this film, many of which I have used as countdown images for this evening's program over on my Instagram page at Cinematic Crypt. I encourage you to take a gander at them. I can't help but imagining this trio as a band. I wonder what their hit single would have been. Maybe it would have been called Raising the Dead. It should be mentioned that the young heiress, Janice Bellacrist, portrayed by Helen Parrish, worked with Bella and Boris previously. She toured with Bella on the Stardust Cavalcade, hosted by Ed Sullivan, which was a variety show of sorts, while she worked with Boris Karloff on one of my favorite pictures about Raising the Dead, Bride of Frankenstein. Speaking of the dead, I think it is time, Crypt Dwellers, for our spooky intermission of sorts. Let's pay a visit to the morgue, shall we, to chat cadavers with my fellow classic coroner, Dr. Ashley Jane Carruthers. Together, we slice open and examine character actor Kay Kaiser, an actor who specialized in playing eccentric and unusual people. Let's all go to the morgue Let's all go to the morgue 
Ravnern. It's me, old chap. Oh, do. Come on in. Just let me turn down the Bunsen burner. I hope you don't mind. I brought someone with me today. Do you mind if I slap them up here on this table? I guess not, depending on who it is. Well, I make no guarantees that you're going to enjoy this corpse. Mm. And I know typically you dig up the specimens, but I kind of had a bit of a blunder while I was exhuming the cadaver for this evening's cinematic crypt. I accidentally unearthed four corpses. Four? Well, I don't know if I have room for four. Oh, don't fret, don't fret, old chap. I've only brought one of them. The other three are safe in the crypt, lying in some spare bunks I had. I didn't have space for this fourth one, so I thought, well, they're already out and about. I might as well just bring them here for a stroll to see my favorite village doctor. So I bet you're wondering who's in this bag. Well, yeah, of course. Tell me. Well, I prefer. Let's make it a game. You Have you ever played Guess Who? Yes, sure. Alright, well, hmm. yes. Okay, let me think. Do they have fangs? Nope. Hmm. Uh, oh, do they have neck bolts? Wrong again. Do they constantly smoke cigarettes? Well, my friend, just remember... Once the remains are out of the bag, there's no placing them back in. I brought today Man About Town, America's favorite radio personality, the one, the only, Kay Kaiser. Oh, why did you do this? Uh, okay, well, might as well slice him open. Scalpel, please. I do know a thing or two about this... Splendid band leader. We shall begin with discussing the five characteristics that made this particular corpse a character. Number one, his manic energy. Number two, his zany demeanor. Number three, his vibrant style. Number four, his unmistakable piercing voice. And number five, his graduation getup. I'm not sure how much you actually know about our buddy, James Kern Kaiser. Before he became a famous band leader, he actually suffered from stage fright. Really? Stage fright? That's pretty surprising, actually, because he seems rather fond of the spotlight. He's a very enthusiastic individual. He seems like he would have loved to have been the host of Kids Say the Darndest Things. I I completely agree. I was kind of flabbergasted when I saw that he was afraid to be on the stage. <laughs> Fortunately for him, it would pass and he would go on to become an extremely famous radio personality of the 30s and 40s. Do you believe this guy was actually his senior class president? I mean, I hate to say it, but I just don't understand what the allure is with this man. Uh... They were different times, I suppose. Well, he started to garner popularity when he came up with essentially Quizzo, which, which, oh, I did want to ask, do you have Quizzo in Canada? No, I, I've never heard of that. Are you being serious? Yeah. 
Oh, well, maybe it's here, but I, I don't use this quizzo device. <laughs> well, it's not a device. It's essentially something people go to the bar. They, like, play trivia while they drink. Oh, okay. Yes, then. He essentially would go around, and it was called K. Kaiser's College of Musical Knowledge, and he started it at a Chicago restaurant, and he would lead his band as the old professor in a cap and gown, and he would spout catchphrases, and he would describe it as a southern accent. I mean, I don't know if that's what it is. It's a K accent. <laughs> he would invite audience members to come up on the stage and then he would ask them questions and he referred to them as his students. Apparently this act that he did in this restaurant, it became so popular, it then led to him landing on NBC radio from 1939 to 1940. And we actually see him perform this skit in You'll Find Out, which is tonight's Crypt Flick. That's right, Bing Crosby is a crooner who has four boys and he's not making a picture called my son, my son, my son, my son. <laughs> I'm sorry you missed that, Mr. Corey. And now, Miss Gabby Lawson, for your last question, Mr. Ray Wolf of Chapel Hill, North Carolina, wants you to name this song. Pop Goes the Weasel. What'd you say? Pop Goes the Weasel. You popped it right on the head! Now, 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 what's the difference between a weasel, an easel, and a measle? <laughs> what's a measle? Oh, okay. Yes, this wonderful scene. I, I gotta say, I love how the movie starts with a montage of folks, like, angrily demanding that the radio be shut off. And their companion's response is, but that's Kay Kaiser. I mean, I would have been the one requesting silence. Of course you would have. I recall in this montage that there is a baby that sticks out their tongue when their mother yeah. asks, oh, do you know who that is on the radio? And then the baby like sticks out their tongue, that's you. You know who that is, honey? That's Kate Kaiser. Yeah. What if you would have been the contestant in the opening of You'll Find Out that's instructed to eat the cake? while singing, My Body Lies Over the Ocean. <laughs> well, I like cake, and My Body Lies Over the Ocean. Well, that seems like a great song. It's so bizarre, though, how the person just listens to Kay. Like, they just do what he says. Oh, don't worry if you choke. It's okay. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> no. Like, I would not listen to him. Just for that, you have to sing. <laughs> The song is My Bunny Lies Over the Ocean. And in case you are nervous... Oh, by the way, here are the words to the song. In case you are nervous, we're going to give you a bite of this cake every now and then. <laughs> Just to help you along. All right, let's go. And don't stop singing. Take it away, Lyman. My bunny lies over the ocean. A bite. My bunny lies over the sea. Another bite. My bunny lies over the ocean. A bite. Oh, bring back my bunny to me. A bite. Bring back. Bite. 
While conducting my research of You'll Find Out, I was reading in this book, Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff, The Expanded Story of a Haunting Collaboration by Gregory William Mank. And the author said, as the old professor, mugging and prancing as he conducted his college of musical knowledge, Kay Kaiser, at full tilt, was a force of nature. And it just <laughs> it made me laugh. Uh, this is like, was he in Twister? A force of nature. Uh, that seems unfair to nature. But I suppose I'm being rather harsh on the fellow because obviously many folks just simply adored Kay. They did. And I will say many are misguided, but he had a lot of people enamored with him. Kay and his orchestra had 11 number one records. <laughs> and some of the most celebrated songs of the 30s and 40s, which, again, it's just astounding to me. And the author, Gregory Mank, also raised this thought, and I had to share it with you. Imagine being a teen at this time, and this was your favorite band. <laughs> and then, like, within a span of a decade, the music that would come along... Your dad is like, shut off that racket. Whatever happened to Kay Kaiser? And you're like, dad, I live for Dracula Loveless now. Naturally, who wouldn't? He's the vamp king of rock and roll. It just, it really amazes me. Like, I'm imagining like a teenager's bedroom with like a K poster (laughs) in his cap and gown. I really also find it interesting because I love so much cinema from the 30s and 40s, much more so than I do music of that era, especially because in the 30s, you had so many pre-code films and they really pushed boundaries for that time. Yeah, I agree with you. There are some wild movies from that time period. What's also wild about Kay and his band was that unlike other band leaders, like for example, like a Glenn Miller, the bandmates of Kay's also became just as famous as him and and he shared the spotlight with them. You know, means to discuss, we have to talk about Ishkabibble in this flick, which was one of the bandmates and that dog. Oh, the dog is a total star. He, at the end, he even tries to save everyone by trotting off with that stick of dynamite. And he's just saving everyone and people are, you know, just besides themselves and like, honestly, protect the dog first. He's catching them! Drop it, Prince! Drop Drop it! it. it. Look, look, he's chased them into the bushes! Poor little princey! Poor little perp! He was such a nice dog. I know I should have been kinder to him. Prince was a hero, Ish. We'll build a monument to him. Sure we will. What's that? It's Prince! 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 Yeah, I 
I really do enjoy the dog because it is a character that has a pretty prominent role in this film because when you think about the dog, like that's also how they discover the secret passage way. Mm -hmm. And typically, I'm all about a dog wearing a wig. As you know, I've procured a few for Lil Foxy, aka Mother Bates. But the wig that this dog is wearing is no. No. And that man is no. No. Yeah, you didn't. Foxy doesn't have a little bowl cut wig? No. Uh, well, you know what? He was in this movie much more than I remembered. And actually, Kay and all his crew were featured much more than I recalled from the last time I saw this movie. They're in the film quite a bit, and honestly, I dare to say it's basically a musical. Mm -hmm. Kay and his bandmates, they starred in a total of seven movies, which was highly unusual for band leaders. And I mean, I have to say, I think we watched the best one. I'm not going to go and watch the other six. I'm just going to say we watched the best one. Yeah, I'm comfortable with calling it a day with this one because this movie is a sight to behold. Yeah, actually, what in particular is a memorable moment about Kay from this film for you? Well, I love the seance scene, which was simply wild. But, of course, Kay volunteers his bandmates to sit on the seance because he doesn't want to. And I'm just like, of course, you know? Just send the lowly band members in because you're scared. But can you imagine attending that seance? It is desirable to have setters of both sexes. Perhaps some of Mr. Kaiser's musicians will oblige. Why, certainly. I'll sit in, Kay. Fine. Uh, Harry, Ish, Sully. You don't mind, do you, fellas? Oh, no. If I don't come back, call me up on the Ouija board. Are you satisfied, Professor? Yes, I am. Please continue. Will you all kindly be seated? Come on, Jenny. And you too, Mr. Kaiser. This is swell. I'll be able to watch him better from there. Excellent idea. And remember, if you need help, you just yell. Thank you. Mr. Kaiser, perhaps your excellent pianist could play something uh, suitable to the mood. With pleasure. Acrobat music, Lyman. Mr. Kaiser. And I also love the moment where Aunt Margot tells Kay that he is the disturbing influence. <laughs> because, yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah, I feel like I would have been Aunt Margot. Like, <laughs> after seeing that seance, I would have been totally enamored with Prince Saliano. You know? Yeah, you're, I, you're Aunt Margot, for sure. I would have been like, this man is wonderful. Everything he's doing is legit. I mean, the seance, it's just wild. Mm -hmm. And that like electrical current that they have that if like you were to try to leave the room, mm -hmm. it's just everything about it is just insane. My favorite K moment is when he goes down and he spies Bella in the basement lair using the Sonovox. 
which I need to know your opinion on this musical gadget. Oh, okay. This thing is unreal. When I first watched this movie and I first heard that sound, I was like gobsmacked. I, I must have one. I must. I need one for the lab. a talk box but you hold the device to your throat instead of using the tube in your mouth which is what you do with the talk box and honestly the holding it to the throat appeals to me more than like a spitty tube but Kate actually describes what it does perfectly when he says it gives diction to the tones of the instruments as they play Harry forms the words, but the instruments sing them. <laughs> yes, I kind of love at the end of the movie where he incorporates the device into the show. Honestly, the Sonovox made this movie five stars for me. Even more so than like Bela, Boris, and Peter, it's like five stars for the Sonovox. Wow. I, cause like to me, Bella, Boris, and Peter in the same film, like right away, like I, even before we watch the movie, I'm like five stars. You know, it's going to be great because the three of them, and there are so many pictures, like publicity pictures from this film. And a lot of them are just Bella, Boris, and Peter. Mm -hmm. And they seriously look like they're in a band. They do. But wow, the Sonovox five stars. Yep. I can't help but see Kay, though, as one of the luckiest people, because he got to work with Bella Lugosi, Boris Karloff, and Peter Lorre. And this is the only movie that the three of them were ever in together. Yeah, you know what? You're right. That's quite an amazing lineup. But do you know who else Kay met? The Batman. No. Wait. The Adam West Batman. The Batman that lives in the comic books. You see, Kay Kaiser was in a Batman comic book where oh my God. it's true, it's where the Batman evidently joins the College of Musical Knowledge. So from what you know about the Batman, do you think he would want to befriend Kay? Like, can you imagine Kay did the music for the latest? the Batman film titled The Batman and Kay like did a cover of something in the way like that this would have been quite the flick I'm just astonished the reach that this guy had I know too he was in like a cartoon with Porky Pig why like I'm just so astonished 
how popular this guy was. Like, how is he in a Batman comic? The Batman is not going to the College of Musical Knowledge. Well, I'll have to track down that issue. Yeah, I, I want to see it in print. So, how did, how did he kick the bucket? Well, Kaiser died of a heart attack in Chapel Hill, North Carolina on July 23rd, 1985. He was buried at Old Chapel Hill Cemetery in Chapel Hill. I think we need to visit his grave at some point. We should. Like, I wonder if his tombstone has reference to the College of Musical Knowledge. It's gotta. Yeah. Maybe we'll see the Batman there. I don't think so. We'll find out. Well, why don't you fetch the blankie and... I'll zip him back up in his bag and take him back to his resting place. Okay. Nighty night, Kay. Hopefully someone will hire you to perform at my next birthday party. Good night. <laughs> and now, on with the show. Welcome back, my creepies. I hope you enjoyed the brief intermission to the morgue. We return for the conclusion of my examination of You'll Find Out. The horror musical You'll Find Out would inevitably do quite well at the box office due to the popularity of Kay Kaiser at the time. Despite the studio wanting to bring the trio back together for another picture, it would never come to fruition. If you're interested in checking out this movie, you can find it on the World Wide Web via a quick Google search, as someone has uploaded it to the website, archive.org. I recommend checking it out, especially for the seance scenes alone. Otherwise, you could purchase a DVD copy from oldies.com, which came with some other Boris and Bella flicks of the time, including a previous movie I examined on the crypt on episode 9, Frankenstein, 1970. I encourage you to check out some of the Cinematic Crypt archives, as my first episode was about the Bela Lugosi flick, The Devil Bat. Without a doubt, Peter, Boris, and Bella will make another appearance here on the crypt in the future. As for Kay, I believe he will remain underground. <laughs> I knew there was something I wanted to tell you. Ladies and gentlemen of the motion picture audience, We've had a lot of fun making our picture, and we certainly hope you've enjoyed it. But there's one thing I want to get clear in your mind. Remember Boris Karloff, Peter Lorre, Bela Lugosi? Well, they aren't really murderers at all. In fact, they are nice fellows and good friends of mine. You know, things like this don't actually happen. It's uh, all in fun. And so we'll be on the air, as usual, next Wednesday night. And until then, we'll be thinking of you. So long, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode, Crypt Dwellers. In my next episode, I will begin a new series entitled Double Trouble. This series will examine flicks in which there is not one, but two characters that the actor portrays. No need for the double take. Your eyes did not deceive. When there is double, there's sure to be trouble. And it also is sure to be twice as fun. The new series will kick off January 13th, 2023. 
Now don't fret, creepies. We shall descend into the crypt before then. Make sure to tune in to my Cryptmas radio special, Hitting the Airwaves, December 13th. Until then, don't be a stranger. I want to know what you think. Drop your favorite little gravedigger a line at cinematiccrypt at gmail.com. If you have a suggestion for the show or a corpse you want me to dig up, let me know. You can also reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Cinematic Crypt or reach me via postal mail. Attention Movie John, and that's M-O-V-I-E-J-A-W-N-P-O Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA 19145. I will always write back and include a personalized epitaph. Shout out to my Canadian film pal and fellow classic coroner, Dr. Ashley Jane Carruthers, for providing and creating a lot of the tunes you hear on this program. Also thanks to fellow movie genre, the Hollywood hunk, Hugo Marmucci, for the rad Cinematic Crypt logo. If you can't get enough of my soothing voice, you can find me on other programs that are part of the Movie John Podcast Network, such as Best Friends Forever. Simply visit Movie John and that's M-O-V-I-E-J-A-W-N dot com under MJ Podcasts. And while there, make sure to subscribe to our quarterly print publication. Our fall 2022 issue features Monsters of Cinema, and you don't want to miss it. Visit moviejohn.com slash shop. the coffin. And here I leave you to rest with my latest epitaph, my tombstone quote, compliments of Professor Carl Fenninger. Why do I have to waste my time outwitting morons? Sadly, my dear creepies, even in the afterlife, you still have to dodge halfwits like Kay Kaiser. I now leave you in the hands of the very evil, very nice, very famous AEW superstar, Dan Housen. Goodbye, film pals. Greetings, goblins and ghouls. This is Dan Housen. Very nice, very evil. This concludes our trip to the graveyard. Until next descent into the cinematic crypt, be sure to follow your illustrious spooky host, Betsina Belfry, or Belfry, whichever you may prefer, on Twitter at cinematic crypt so that you'll never miss a corpse yes join us next time for another trip six feet under to pry open a coffin of hollywood's past or be cursed
Ladies and gentlemen, I think that under the circumstances, we had better consider this evening at an end. On behalf of Miss Bellacrest and her aunt, I apologize for this unfortunate accident. Nobody can tell me that was an accident. Why, Saliana asked her to sit in that chair. Yes. And if she hadn't changed seats, you would have been sitting under that chandelier. That's right. And you might not have fainted. That's right. Mm -hmm.